1: Three, two, one, and we're back. Or shall I say, I'm back. Julie's taking a few days off. She's not feeling very well. Um, We did take her to the doctor. Nothing to worry about. And yes, we did have her check for the coronavirus. And no, she does not have it, but she's going to take a few days off from the podcast. So you're stuck with me. Now, I want to start a new series on this podcast, and it's dusting off an old series Julie and I did last year, which frankly, I think was some of our best work on this podcast we do our best work, generally speaking, when we're trying to outline uh, something for a new book that we're writing. And the notes that I want to share with you, starting probably tomorrow or the following day, um, are the notes in the podcast notes we shared with you guys about having a moral obligation to be rich. Now, I found that topic to be completely uh, and utterly interesting as Julie and I were writing it, and a lot of you did too. It's one of our I think one of the best series we've ever done. There's four or five um, podcasts in a row, 30 to 45 minutes each. We're going to go back and, and we're going to dust that off. We're going to update some of the information, not too much, and we're going to re-record it And um, yeah, for all of you guys to enjoy. But before we get there, I wanted to start uh, with an exercise that I sense is definitely needed um, right now. And why right now more than probably any other time? It's because we're coming out of this, you know, bizarre lockdown period of the from the virus and all the, we're finally coming out of our rabbit holes as it were and we're seeing all the really the devastation that's happened to the economy and people's attitudes and uh, you know julie and i've been out and about quite a bit lately and i have to say it's very interesting to see how really friendly and helpful everybody is but also how everyone seems to have this big sort of overhang of uncertainty that's on their minds i mean it's a bizarre world as all you guys are experiencing no i shouldn't say all of you because I have lots of coaching clients, Julie, and I have lots of friends and family all over the country. And I'll tell you, there's things happening in parts of the country that I don't know if it's good or I don't know if it's bad, but it's definitely people throwing caution to the wind with regards to any kind of social distancing or wearing masks. Dan in Miami, a good friend of ours, Orlando, was telling us that there are there was no sign of any sort of you know organized people. Uh, there's no mass, <laughs> There's no social distancing. He said the restaurants were full, over full. There's no distance between the tables. Nothing like that. So I mean, there it is. We're at this sort of bizarre place in the world where people don't really know what's going to happen next. They're still sort of licking their, I think, uh, financial and psychological wounds from what we've all just been through. And if you kind of compound that with all the things that are going on politically, all the things that are going on socially, it's very, very easy to feel overwhelmed. Or at least not overwhelmed necessarily in the sense that um, maybe you would, you know, too much to do, but overwhelmed in the sense of not knowing how to focus on uh, moving forward. Again, I know this is a very stressful time for all of you guys. You know, it's interesting too. um, I was uh, talking with someone recently and it was one of you guys who had asked for a free coaching call, so I called you back. Someone who was interested in EXP. So I called him back and I was answering all their questions, and, and then I gave him, you know, we had a little coaching session. And I have to tell you, I felt stress talking to this person, right? Um, this person was carrying a ton of stress, and um, I'm hesitant to say if it's a he or she because I know they listen, but I'll say it's a he, okay? And he was carrying a ton of stress. I could hear it in his voice. Uh, I could hear it with the way he was describing what was going on in his business. Everything was a struggle. It seemed like he didn't have a single thing that he was telling me that was going smoothly. And and again, I you when you do what you what, what Julie and I and all of our coaches have done for as long as we've done it, you don't get to necessarily see the people when you're talking to them because you know ninety nine percent of our coaching doesn't happen over Zooms. It happens over over calls like this. And, um, you know, this is a podcast, obviously, but it's just voice only. So we have to learn to listen for inflections. We learn we to sort of intuit uh, if someone's talking fast or talking slow. But in this case, I didn't even have to use any of my spotty senses because I could just tell by the way he was describing what was going on in his business and in his life that he was under a lot of stress. And then and then he was asking for help because he's wanting obviously to make the most of this market because he's in you know he's believing as well that this is probably the last best market we're gonna have for a while. And so he and I were uh, making a plan to get his listings sold, take more listings, make the most of this market, be of service to other people, the things we talk about every day on this podcast. But what I what my goal was, and I didn't tell him this, and I don't necessarily ever enter into coaching calls with goals because really it's not my goal that matters; it's the coaching client's goal. But in this particular case, he was a podcast listener who's becoming the exp uh, agent as part of our team, and he and he wasn't a coaching client, so I did have to have a goal. You know, I had to have some object, uh, uh, some in where I could essentially you know, get him started and going in the right direction. And, um, and then if he needed more help, he could raise his hand and ask for it, you know, sometime in the future, but not formally like a normal coaching session. So I had to enter into with a goal. And so I wrote down on a piece of paper, my goal was to help him to feel less stressed and help him to feel like he was reconnected with uh, a sense of direction. And that was my goal. And I, and I did it. And I'll tell you, and what I did with him is what I'm going to do with you. Um, and what I'm going to do with you guys, if you take this seriously and you take notes as I'm talking, I think you'll have that same sense of clarity. So just to summarize that coaching call, you're about to hear essentially, and this coaching, essentially this, this um, process I'm going to take you through, I've done many, many coaching calls. And so I knew it was going to work with him, or at least I was had a high level of confidence. Um, but at the end of our call, maybe it was 45 minutes or whatnot, I asked him how he felt because I could hear in his voice that he was talking slower, he was calmer, he seemed more confident and i and i asked him how he felt and he used those words he said he felt calm confident he thanked me profusely for you know essentially all that and i appreciated the praise obviously but then the hard part was was going to happen as soon as we ended the call cuz then he actually had to get to work and, and then I did ask him to you know stay in contact with me. So I'm not only can we move him forward with EXP, but we can also move him forward uh, keeping his, um, you know, his marbles in his head as it was. So here's some simple cold facts, hard realities. The rest of this year is gonna be unfortunately probably more stressful than the first half of this year. And I mean in all the ways that matter. And I'm sorry to tell you that. And um, trust me, I would much rather be telling you how it's gonna be a wonderful V-shaped recovery and we're all gonna be laughing at the hardship for the first half of the year but it there's really no indications to believe that it's going to be like that now it's going to be worse because of all the things that are going on socially and with politics and it does seem that we're going to be at a crossroads again with the coronavirus there are certainly a lot of you know i think credible sources that are saying around the country that this you know asshole virus is trying to make a comeback and it's inevitable it's sort of one of those you know so what isn't inevitable is that the government in the in the states are going to react the same way so then you're going to have this social you know this whole discourse and the whole debate going going on about how people are supposed to react i was listening to some other podcasts today um, you know this morning and it was interesting to me how many, it just, it really does seem to be, there's, there's no blended opinion, right? It's either we all lock down and we all sort of just hide in our hobbit holes, or we just basically, that's one extreme. And the other extreme is, is that we all sort of just, you know, herd immunity and, you, if you're old, or if you have, you know, other health problems, and you, maybe you just need to be a little bit, a lot. Well, in some cases, a lot more cautious, and maybe you're the one that needs to quarantine if you have other, you know, relate maybe potentially harmful issues if you develop the coronavirus. But for the vast majority of people they will get it and they'll get over it or they'll get it and they won't even know they had it and all the you know little kids supposedly don't have a big problem with it at least that's what we're being told right i mean again and that enters another layer of uncertainty where you know there's differing opinions on whether you should wear masks or not or differing opinions on whether there's too strange of this and just look guys they haven't really made a lot of progress on knowing what the hell's going on have they but what we do know is that thus far Um, People, for the most part, have been willing to comply with whatever the government has told us to do. And will that happen uh, if there's a second go-around of quarantines? I honestly don't know. And um, neither do you. And there is no crystal ball. But it does appear that based on the momentum that's happening right now with essentially people's reaction to having been quarantined and the horrible devastation of the economy there might be more essentially gravitational pull away from not having a big quarantine again and not doing what they did again, shutting down the economy, despite the maybe increased health risks. So there you go. There's a lot of uncertainty, and that uncertainty is going to enter into the real estate markets. Now, Julie and I have been and again, I'm getting to a, a, the topic or the outline of the uh, coaching call I did for that guy, but I'm just sort of you know, reminding all of you that we've been warning all of you uh, for the past two years that there was going to be some kind of recession. We've been talking about it on this podcast. Uh, but we certainly didn't expect a pandemic. I mean, you know, it's kind of an extreme event. And there always is some sort of extreme event, a black swan event, as the money guys like to call it, that usually causes the onset of a recession or something else. And that is what's happened now and the pandemic is perhaps the biggest, ugliest black swan there ever has been. Um, and, fortunate, and, and hopefully the biggest, ugliest black swan we'll ever have to deal with. Um, but moving forward, here's what matters, is that the second half of the year is going to... Uh, create more headwinds in a meaningful way than the first half did there's going to be finally they're going to you're going to see some of these unemployment benefits uh run their course you're going to see the um distressed real estate uh it's going to start gaining momentum and trust me guys as coaching clients you're going to be the first to know about it as you, some of you may remember, we are the nation's leading short sale REO coaching training program when that was what was most relevant for all of you to know. And yes, it does appear that that's going to be relevant for all of you to know again by the fourth quarter. And we are, at this point, we are predicting that by this time next year, That there's going to be a dramatic increase increase in distressed real estate, and there's going to you guys get my point here. There's going to be a lot of headwinds to the economy. I can go on and on and on, but I don't want to make this sound doomy and gloomy. What you have to realize is ultimately. The uh, future is whatever it's going to be. How you react to it is your choice, right? And if you don't have an actual, you know, clear north star, if you don't have directions, if you don't have an overused word goals of what you're going to accomplish, then you're just going to basically be a ship out to sea, blowing in whatever direction of the strongest breeze, and that's what you want to avoid. Because when you get in that place, then you are literally out of control. And you're going to essentially suffer the worst hardships you can in pretty much all the most most meaningful ways. I talked about um, at the end of one of the podcasts uh, most recently the great book that Julie and I read. I don't remember the astronaut's name. You daily listeners know who I'm talking about. It was written by a, a Canadian um, astronaut, and he was you know we were talking about what people have a tendency to do when they lose a sense of control. So you know essentially they destruct other aspects of their lives that otherwise would have been fine. And, you know, the moral of the story here is, is our job, Julie and I's job, our coaching company's job, you know, it's our objective to make it so that your finances are at least in control. Because if your finances are in control, if you're not financially desperate, then other stressful things that pop up in your life have less of an impact. You know, it's it's less impactful to you. If, for example, there's a lot of bad news about the coronavirus and the economy, if you financially are on strong ground, you know you, you can you can weather whatever storm comes your way, right? You're if you're you know if you even have like say for example, someone in your family does get coronavirus, and you know maybe your whole family does, and I'm not you know every, your whole family gets over it, so you know no doom and gloom here. But if everyone's down for the count for a while, not feeling that great, but you have no financial worries, you see how life is just not so bad. So. What we're going to do today uh, is I'm going to start out by having all of you guys listen in and hopefully you'll allow me to coach you through the essentially the challenge, the mindset issue I know a lot of you guys have of sort of lacking uh, motivation, lacking what I would call a real cl- a clear sense of uh, purpose and direction. So I'm going to walk you through that and then what we're going to do is we're going to go back and it's going to maybe be later this week and we're going to talk about the fact that you have a moral obligation to be rich i'm going to dust off those notes and, and julie and i've been updating them and we're going to go through it point by point and i'm going to do my best to sell you on the idea that you literally have a moral obligation to be rich and i'm not just playing with words i mean it in the truest sense a moral obligation to be rich and by rich, I mean your money works for you, and you no longer have to work for your money. Not some big grandiose, you know. Maybe it, it you don't have any desire to, you know, have, uh, you know, private jets and all the rest of it, all the all the rest of the trappings, right? Maybe that doesn't appeal to you at all. That's fine. That's not what I'm really talking about. Though some of you, that's what you want, and that's great too. What I'm talking about is rich. Again, where your money works for you, you no longer have to work for your money. Where you are no longer having to earn your money, your money is earning itself for you. That is what rich is. And rich, by the way, depending on what your expectation is, could be $5,000 a month, $10,000 a month. So maybe it's $3,500 a month. I mean, some of you, if you had $3,500 coming in a month, passively gets wired to you every month or you get a check in the mail or maybe it comes from multiple sources it doesn't really matter you would be in essence rich you'd be financially free assuming your your personal obligations were about 3500 a month others of you it'll take 5000 10000 maybe 20000 but how would it feel if you had enough money coming in passively that you no longer actually had to you know worry about transactional income again you know, a zombie apocalypse happens, but you've got money coming in. You can pay your bills and you can feed your family. You can feed yourself. You can still, you know, do all those things and you don't have to worry about the, the hardships that come from no money. It You see how everything else doesn't quite have as much impact and how much as much hold on you? You know, there's a good argument to be made that a lot of the social unrest that, again, Julie and I predicted back in uh, March, it's it's an easy assumption that a lot of the people are reacting the way they're reacting because they are so pissed that they lost their jobs. I mean, look, we're all small business owners, right? Uh, It's really unbelievably tragic to think of all the businesses around the country that will never come back. At least not in the sense that they'll be viable and some of them will just close up shop. And they'll be, I mean, guys, what, 40 million people lost their jobs in just the last 90 days? And yes, the unemployment rate wasn't as bad around the last reporting period for unemployment, new claims for unemployment, but it's still absolutely awful. This is the fastest that that many people have ever lost their jobs, I think, anywhere in the world, um, in history, so that's something really to behold. And all those people, at the same time, being told to quarantine, right, and being told that all these other injustices are happening in the world, yeah, a lot of them are going to get real pissed. A lot of them are going to, you know, take to the streets. A lot of them are going to say, you know, the leadership that we thought we had in our lives, in our, our, you know, country failed us. And maybe they're right, right? Maybe ultimately they're right. Maybe the leadership... Maybe all the people that we were hoisting up, telling us and hoping that would give our country and ourselves direction, maybe they were all sort of misdirected themselves. So here's a thought for you. Ultimately, the only way you're ever going to get into the end zone in any meaningful way in your life is if you stop looking for outside leadership. You can look for people to give you guidance and occasional course direction changes, but you have to be your own guru. You, cannot be in, you have to be independent of being dependent on other people. You can't be in a situation where your future is totally beholden to essentially, you know, the government or something like that. You know, there's lots of interesting statistics out there. And the one that I always remind myself of, and and we're pivoting to the, you know, the coaching call that I provided for this gentleman. uh, There's lots of interesting statistics that I I always rattle around in my brain. And these numbers I might not have perfectly right. They're in our book. I should uh, not be lazy and just crack open our book because Julie researched this a lot. But the Social Security Administration produces amazing information, Um, just a wealth of real drilled down factual statistical information about people's wealth and one of the facts and i think we read this back in the you know early 2000s or whatever but something like 98% of everyone once they uh, reach the age of retirement so sometime in your 60s are either you know 100% dependent on a family member or their family or the government just to make ends meet so a lot of people after working their entire lives earning if you always if you add up how much money you've earned in your entire life you know round it up just to make the point add it all up you know back when you deliver papers to when you move snow off driveways to all the way down to the you know last house you sold, everything, all the money you've earned so far, it's probably millions and millions of dollars. And some of you, it's tens of millions. I have coaching clients where it's hundreds of millions. That's how much they've earned in their lifetimes. And so if you add all that money up, and then you look at actually what you've got to show for it, what you actually have as far as passive income that's coming in, some of you are fantastic. But others of you, that's a very sobering exercise to go through. Because what you're going to realize is you're falling into the exact same trap that virtually everybody does. And the statistic is again, something like 98% of all Americans, once they each reach the age of retirement, are either dependent on a government or a family member to just basically pay their bills. They have earned all this money throughout their lives and they essentially are reaching the age of retirement and they're basically beholden to somebody else. They never. Uh, created financial freedom for themselves. They never actually made it so they're independent. Why? Why is that true? Because it was never a goal, that's why. It was never something they really had their sights set on. Some of them had earned, well a lot of them have earned, lots and lots of money, um, and then, then they, they destroy it. That's a real common pattern that I see, frankly, mostly in men. Men will create uh, essentially drama in their lives, usually the financial nature, um, because they're not comfortable, they'll reach a certain uh, level of success and wealth and then they destroy it because there's, it's the ego. The ego inside of them uh, starts to make them feel crazy because they're no longer having to work as hard or they're all of a sudden they're in this, this um, state of flow with regards to, you know, it's called momentum, right? Where everything in life starts to get a lot easier. And then what these men will have a tendency to do is they'll do stupid things, take too many financial risks, they'll, you know, destroy their marriages, they'll do all these other really dumb things because then they'll have to be putting they put themselves their ego, then we'll put them back in a situation where they're desperate again. Where they have to then, you know, get back into fighting mode and they have to recreate it. I know people who have done that almost like they're habitual about it. Some of them do it every three to five years. Some of them do it every seven to ten years. Maybe you do that same behavior yourselves. So you got to say, is that really working out for me? Is that the pattern I want to follow? And maybe if I continue, and so they always tell themselves, right? I've got enough time to recreate. Or they'll say, well, you know what? I fell on my ass once, and now I'm falling on my ass again. I can pull myself back up again. And then you do it. And then what happens is as you get older, what happens is it gets a lot harder to do that. And you have to remember that there's lots of people that have lived that same pattern in their lives. And remember the statistic I gave you that virtually everyone once they reach the age of retirement is dependent on a family member or the government just to basically keep out of uh, poverty well what makes you think those people didn't follow that exact same pattern their entire lives they did of course so unless you have a pattern interrupt unless you actually do something to change that really crazy pattern that you've developed for yourselves and all of us have done it in some way i mean you know the uh, obvious example that everyone can relate to is how many people have lost a bunch of weight and then gained the weight back Raise your hand if you've done that, right? Because it takes, look, it takes massive discipline to keep the weight off. Actually, it takes more discipline to keep the weight off than it took to lose the weight, you know, but you wouldn't. And yet you keep on following that pattern. You gain the weight, you lose the weight. You gain the weight, you lose the weight. You don't have to actually live like that. So one of the sayings that Julie and I created a long time ago is if you want ever-increasing levels of success in all the most meaningful areas of your life, you have to do what you don't want to do when you don't want to do it at the highest level. Do what you don't want to do when you don't want to do it at the highest level. That is so critically important because what that does is it breaks you free of these patterns of creation and destruction. You don't have to have good years and bad years. You don't have to have good decades and bad decades. A lot of people really believe That's how it's supposed to be. No one in I've had I've I've had these conversations so many times that it just it's amazing to me that people actually innately believe that you can't have ever increasing levels of success in all the most meaningful areas of your life. They actually believe that you succeed and then you don't. You succeed and then you don't. That's just some some sort of, I don't know what it is, a socialized belief about capacity or maybe it's just an individual, you know, belief about what they're capable of or, or what I personally think it primarily is, is people start to succeed in certain areas of their life and then they experience emotional headwinds. So for example, if you are, you know, <laughs> I was about to say Columbus, Ohio, and um, well, I will use that as an example. So when you're walking, and Julie and I are from Columbus, Ohio, and when we lived in Columbus, and we all of our dearest friends and family members still live there, and I think maybe this will make them a little mad at me for saying, but I don't think they'll argue with me. When you live in Columbus, it's winter for a long period of time, spring and summer for a short period of time. You know, there's no, there's certainly a a good bit of, you know, people do athletics and whatnot, but it doesn't, you don't have a long season for doing that. There's no skiing. It's flat. You guys get the idea. What you do have is the OSU Buckeyes. And what you do have is a lot of people that gain a lot of weight and then they, they just add a little bit more weight every single year. Get a little bit fatter, get a little bit fatter, get a little bit fatter. But they don't think of it because they stay in Columbus, Ohio. everyone around them looks like they look. everyone around them basically the whole social world is mostly revolved around you know that type of behavior and that type of lifestyle. Not everyone obviously I'm just trying to make a point don't get mad at me if you're in Columbus, Ohio. Remember Julie and I are from Columbus, Ohio. you know we met in high school in Columbus, Ohio so I'm not you know I'm just using this example because I know it. And when when we walked through an airport, actually I should say as a joke, when we used to walk through airports, remember listeners, when everyone did that, Um, we'd always, you know, without reading the board as far as where the plane was going, you could always kind of predict the people waiting for their planes, what part of the country they were flying to, couldn't you, right? It's true. You could actually, when walking past areas in the Midwest, the people were heavier. They wore baggy clothes, lots of sweatshirts. Have you ever noticed this, listeners? What I'm telling you is the truth. And guess what? Julie and I were not immune to that when we lived there. When we lived there, both of us were heavier. I was like 30 or 40 pounds heavier. Uh, Julie was I mean she wasn't that much heavier but she was I don't know maybe 20 pounds heavier than she is now something like that now she'd never admit it but she's not on the podcast so I can tell you all that (laughs) true story though and and then what happened is she and I started to travel more we went out to Southern California we went to different parts of the world and we started seeing that hey guess what he, you know, we're fat and, you know, and we're not, that's not who we want to be. That's not who we want to become. We don't want to stay on this treadmill and just get fatter and fatter. And, um, you know, the same thing applies for money. The same thing applies for every aspect of your life. You know, I could pivot this and talk, start talking about education levels and being lifelong learners. How many of you guys read books? How many of you guys actually listen to other podcasts? How many of you, you guys get the point? People just level off and then they stop growing. And so in the case of like what caused Julie and I, what was our pattern interrupt specifically for, you know, being fat for example, and look, I'm not using soft and cuddly words here. I'm saying what it was. We were lazy, we were fat, we were eating too many carbs, right? All these things were true. And yes, Julie and I had both, by the way, done the yo-yo thing. Lost weight, gain weight, lost weight, gain weight. And we said, this is enough. We're not doing this anymore. And we then realized that in order for us to break free of that pattern, we're gonna have to start in our minds like seeing ourselves as different people and not just seeing ourselves as different people but exposing ourselves to different ways that different people live around the country primarily and that's what we did now here's what happened when we started to lose weight and we are living in the new Albany country club area and julie and i started running around this massive uh you know around the golf course and all that and the uh, we started to lose weight and people started to say sort of backhanded compliments right you know, little little smart-ass comments. We heard it all, all the flip in place. You know, people say, oh, I saw you guys out running. And, you know, what are you running from? And all, you know, things like that. Little funny things. We You know, we'd laugh all the while we were losing weight. And then what we noticed is that we would start to get shunned a little bit from getting invited to different social things because we were maybe, we didn't go in there and brag about how we were losing weight. They could tell we were in the, in the you know, we were changing. We were becoming something else. And they were reacting because we were no longer part of that group, tribe. We no longer were, you know, we weren't cohesive with how we made them uncomfortable, right? Now the same thing had happened years before when it came to money. The same thing it came, it happened when we you know, became successful and, and continued to become successful in business. And so my personal theory is, is that a lot of you have the intention of becoming something greater. But then when you start to hit that stride, and you start to gain that momentum, you're, you're faced with a massive emotional headwind of being rejected, of not being supported like you thought you'd be supported, of not like, no, you didn't have a structure around you to reinforce the person or, you know, that you wanted to become. And sometimes it came from your family. I mean, it did for me personally for finances, and I've told that story before. I certainly I had the exact opposite of reinforcement for Julie and I to get where we've gotten financially, you know. And, and I'm not going to tell it again now, but the moral of the story is is that's normal. They can't they aren't consciously trying to hurt you or consciously trying to, you know, keep you in your keep you in your place, right? They're just reacting because in human's minds, we're all basically wired to be part of a tribe. And that's what you're seeing happen a lot in society right now. And so you're part of that, that familial support structure or that community support structure. And if all of a sudden you start changing, not only do you make them uncomfortable because maybe you know they wanted to go on a vacation to wherever, or they wanted to buy the new car, maybe those are the obvious things, but you're making them feel uncomfortable because they all of a sudden you're not you don't look, smell, act like them, right? You don't think like them. You don't pray like them, maybe. You don't think the thoughts that they think. And then all of a sudden you're not quite like that tribe anymore and that they feel threatened by you because now you're starting to feel like an outsider. I know that sounds uh, it sounds bizarre for me to say what I just said, but it is still true and if you think about your own behavior, and you know, I want you to analyze that. I want you to really drill down on that and ask yourself, is that the reason maybe you haven't pushed forward? And the more sort of amiable, people-oriented you are, the harder it is for you to push through that because you're perceiving their um, rejection of you, well, they're perceiving their reaction to you, let me say it that way, that you're hurting them. So if you all of a sudden become successful financially and you're able to pay your house off and you know spoil your family and all that, you feel almost... Bad because you feel like somehow you're hurting the people around you, your family and your friends and maybe your neighbors. You're somehow putting them in a position where they are feeling insecure about themselves, which, by the way, you are, and you feel bad about that. And so what you stop doing is doing the activities that basically were necessary for you to become more successful. You stop doing it because you feel bad, again, more amiable of a personality you are. You feel like you're hurting other people because you're, you're sort of breaking out of the, the cage, right? Isn't that interesting? You know, so if you really have these drill-down conversations with yourself and allow yourself to be introspective, and then you start allowing influence from your, you know, break through your existing belief structure, and that right now is more important than ever. And we're not going to meander into talk about politics here but the reality of it is it's really critical that all of us do not allow anyone to tribe us up you have to have an open mind because what's going to come next in our economy and politics and societally and even politically and who knows what right is going to be a hybrid of all these competing these thoughts and these you know people's behaviors that feel like they're competing right now So all these things that seem to be at odds with each other, what's going to happen next is going to be sort of a gelling of some of these ideas, and then it's going to evolve into something that will essentially be around for, you know, generations. And it's going to be with regards to how we treat each other, the economy. All these things are going through the hardest of hard resets right now, and it's painful for a lot of us, right? It's uncomfortable. I get it. I totally, I feel that way too. But having gone through these experiences and being a coach, as long as Julie and I have done it, it's very cathartic. Cathartic being you coach somebody to help them through a problem and you get the benefit of having done the work with other people and helping and seeing that you know how to help other people through their problem, and then it's almost like out of you know integrity to have that same problem yourself. So if I'm telling somebody who wants to lose weight, for example, because that's an easy thing to pick on, right? If I tell someone to lose weight and I'm you know suggesting they read this book and you know go to a doctor and do this, and I'm you know Julie and I are not exercise physiologists, we're not doctors, but we can give an overview plan what works and what worked with a lot of other people, and then we're not doing it ourselves. Well. You can't be. I mean, that's just ridiculous, right? So you can't tell somebody how to uh, save money and accumulate enough, uh, you know, passive income sources that they're rich, where their money works for them and they no longer work for their money. If you're broke, I mean, those things just don't work. You can't be good at what you do if you're not actually practicing what you say. That just, it not only makes you a hypocrite, but I don't. I think anybody can perceive that you're fake if you were if you're not actually living by um, the words that you actually say. Hopefully, that makes sense to all of you. So I'm going to get back to this coaching call I had with this gentleman. I'm going to tell you guys some psychological tricks that makes this work. And I'm kind of giving you the the uh, sort of a peek behind the curtain as to why a lot of these a lot of these things work. And I'm going to share, and I think I'm going to break the mold with a lot of things that maybe you guys think with regards to goal setting in particular. So uh, here's the thing that's very fascinating, um, and these are all fairly recent psychological studies done by very credible sources. But the old way of you know goal setting, okay, and I don't even like using the word goal setting. It just seems fake anymore because so many people say goal setting, um, and they never ever do anything with it, right? Goals have just become this sort of mythical thing that everyone sets once a year and never looks at again. But your life should be filled with constant goal setting, not just something you do you know quarterly or annually, but daily, because you can have. Uh, micro-drilled-down goals that are essentially there to serve the larger goals. And that's how you're, that's how you're supposed to do everything. You know, using the example of learning how to, say, proactively lead generate. right? And let's say you decide you're going to be a listing agent. Let's say you decide you're going to be a listing agent you know, and you're going to be able to list, say, 10 houses by the end of the year. Or ten houses in the next sixty days, right? And you're going to do it one hundred percent from proactive lead generation. So you have now a goal with a date. So let's say by you know August fifteenth, whatever it is, you're going to have listed ten houses from proactive lead generation, not from referrals, not from you know buying the leads, not from doing any of this you know Mickey Mouse stuff actual listings where you basically knew the seller, a probate listing, an expired listing, a for sale by owner listing, maybe a center of influence past client listing lead that you called and all the other sources we teach you in the coaching program, right? You're going to set the goal. You're going to do it by that particular date. Now you have a goal and a date. That's what most people do. That's the extent of it. They never do the middle part, which is an action plan. So the action plan is where everything is. The action plan is what you should be doing every single day you know, leading up to the accomplishment of that goal. Every single day, it's about doing what you don't want to do when you don't want to do at the highest level. There are things that all of us have to do, majority of what you want in life, by the way, is on the other side of long periods, and I mean years, decades, of doing what you don't want to do when you don't want to do it at the highest level. That's what is required of all of us, and that's what many of us have forgotten or many of us have never actually learned. You cannot, you know, following your passion sounds great, you know, doing what makes you happy sounds great, but that's not really what it takes to be successful long term. Because if you believe that you're, you know, you can only be successful on the other side of feeling passion, right? Some big epiphany, all the stars align. Unless you're feeling that way, you're not going to do what you don't want to do and you don't want to do at the highest level and you're going to give up too soon. So just hear what I'm saying, guys. It comes from the other side of doing a billion coaching calls. So I'm going to give you a couple rules with this, Okay. First of all, the most powerful way to motivate yourself is not moving towards a goal necessarily. That's not going to motivate most of you. So if we say, for example, you do these things and by Christmas time you can you know, take a Disney cruise with your family and the whole thing. For the most part, that will be a goal that will not be met unless you have a lot of external accountability, which we'll talk about in a second. But the most powerful way to keep yourself motivated every single day is be motivated by the idea that you're going to lose what you have. Losing what you have, already have, in your possession, is the most powerful motivator known to man. That could be a financial loss. It could be a, you know, a relationship loss. It could be a financial you know, or you know, a combination of two. It could be whatever it is. Um, and I'll give you guys a story. You've, many of you have heard this before, but it's a great way of explaining it. So I had this really great coaching client. His name was Monet, and that was really his name. Monet came to me, uh, just an absolutely buff, perfectly conditioned. He looked like a you know ex Navy SEAL type of guy, but that isn't who he always was. And he told me this, and he hired Julie and I and our coaching organization to help him build his real estate business. He knew he could, and he did build his real estate business because of the fact of what he did, which I'm about to tell you the story. So for a majority of his life, Monet was evidently—I didn't know him during this time—really obese. Obese to the point for long enough that the doctor had been telling him, if you don't lose your weight, eventually you're going to develop, you know, diseases and the diseases are going to result in you having bad circulation. Bad circulation is going to result in you having to have your, you know, appendages removed, your feet, your toes, your legs. Okay. He didn't listen. He couldn't really walk. He was having to get around with a walker. I mean, it was really tragic. This is him telling me the story, right? Again, I didn't know him. So he says he goes to the doctor. And remember, listeners, I said, he had been told to lose weight forever. He goes to the doctor. The doctor takes a look at him. I guess it was his feet. And the doctor says, we need to schedule you for a surgery to, you know, remove part of your leg, right? Now, that was totally self-created. Yes, he had developed a disease and diabetes that caused his, you know, his whole thing, right? He did this to himself, but now basically his body was rotting. Think about that for a second. For the first time ever, and remember, he had laughed at basically his health problems before, the potentiality of not ever losing weight, but at that very moment, he goes on to tell me, that he magically (laughs) decides to get in shape, and not only, as I already told you, does he get in shape, but he gets in such great shape that he's on the cover of a men's fitness magazine. I did see that picture, and he looked amazing. True story. So why is it that after all those decades, he never actually lost that weight? Well, it's because... There was no fear of loss. It's like losing weight and being fat for him was easier than not losing the weight. Losing the weight wouldn't have meant not being able to eat what he wanted to eat when he wanted to eat it, would have meant he would have to exercise, would have meant that he would have had to change his lifestyle, would have meant he would have had to lose friends probably and all the other things. And so maybe his subconscious mind told him, nope, cost is too high, stay fat, everything's just fine, right? So what happened was the doctor then said you have to lose an appendage and then the fear of or the you know the perceived discomfort of losing the weight was no longer that significant compared to what he was going to lose losing a limb was more significant than essentially maintaining that sort of lazy complacent destructive lifestyle and that, unfortunately, and again, it worked for him. And, and then he carried that through at other aspects of his life because he learned that about himself. And, and he'd never had any, he lost the weight, he lost the health problem, he kept all of his, you know, appendages and, you know, went on to live and still living a great life. All of you guys are following similar patterns in other aspects of your lives, financial, physical, right? Could be your relationships, it could be who knows what, education. Some of you guys have gotten to the point, especially, again, because Julie and I have to stay in our wheelhouse with regards to helping you guys build your real estate practices um, and uh, make money, help people, right? That's what we do. Read our book, Harris Rules. It's on Amazon or at Barnes & Noble, if Barnes & Noble ever opens up again. But what we focus on is obviously the financial aspects. So what is it that you will lose? What is it that you could lose if you actually do not decide to take a radical change of behavior like he did when he was worried about losing a limb. That's what I want you guys to think about. And I'm gonna really drill down because I want you to feel the same discomfort that Monet did when he was facing down having to lose that limb. I want you to actually feel the fear. Now I'm gonna tell you about fear. Fear is your greatest ally. Fear can be your greatest superpower. Fear can be your greatest strength. And whether you like it or not, you're always going to feel fear. It's how you react to the fear that basically determines your future. So you need to learn to use fear in order to basically keep yourself motivated. And I'm gonna give you some examples. Um, you will get to a point, hopefully, all of you, where you are finally rich, where your money finally works for you and you no longer have to work for your money, where you've accomplished your financial goals. Maybe you're in great shape, everything's great, right? But then, what's going to happen is is you are going to want to go to the next level, or maybe you got a kid's college education to pay for, or you know, it turns out your wife's you know uh, pregnant with you know quadruplets, and they're all girls, and you want to pay for the coll- or pay for their college, and pay for their weddings, right? Whatever, you all of a sudden have a need for a massive uptick in income. The greatest, but financially you're secure, right? You just you have to maintain, you have to make sure that all the plates are spinning and everything's working as it should. But it's not like you're having to actually be boots on the ground anymore digging ditches in a proverbial sense, right? You're you've gotten to a point where you are rich, where your money's working for you, and you no longer have to work for your money. But you know that you can then tap that, you know, you can open that that fear, you know, fear bucket in your in your mind, and you can use that to motivate yourself every single successful person i've ever coached or any of my friends or any books i've ever read they know how to exploit their fear they know how to use it as a directed weapon and it becomes their most powerful weapon and what you can often do if you get it if you're trying to get to the point to shock yourself out of complacency is you have to tell yourself the scariest, deepest, darkest story about what could happen. And maybe some of you have experienced some really you know, nasty, horrible things. I did when I was a kid financially. I mean, I still use those things to this day to motivate me because I do not want to experience that or have my family experience those things that I did as a kid, right? So I can channel that inner fear and so can you. You know, maybe some of you guys have, you know, essentially had the silver born with a silver spoon and everything's been easier. But for the five of you that live like that, then you're going to have to try a little harder to create that fear. But a vast majority of you, all of you listening to us, generally speaking, people that get into real estate. They get into real estate and they're successful because they, they have there's something emotionally that they've never quite resolved. And I'll give you a little secret. Never try to resolve it because it's your secret weapon. You will never be satisfied. And as soon as you try to say you're satisfied, then you're going to basically essentially lose what you have. You are not designed to stay complacent. You are not designed to stay in place. You are not designed to not continue learning. And if you do, you're going to create problems for yourself. If you do, you're actually going to lose what you have. So I'm going to create a very, a, a very, you know, essentially a real vision. And I'm going to tell you what I actually think. And this is like, you know, I'm a Boy Scout, right? I, I hope for the best, but I prepare for the worst. And that's how we've developed our business. And maybe in some cases, it's caused us to be too conservative with opportunities. But at the same time, it's worked out overall. So here's the thought for you. And, and again, this is what I truly believe. And I'm not finding any real counter indicators to make me think I'm wrong. I believe this time next year... We're going to be in what will be a very protracted recession. I think we're going to see things happen in the economy because this is basically the great reshuffling, right? The deck is getting reshuffled. And it was inevitable. There was, we are you know, Essentially, the country was living on borrowed money and the Fed and all these other things that I'm not expert at enough to quite understand, let alone explain to all of you. But what I do know, again, is that a lot of my very wealthy friends – and we have many of them, fortunately now, because you know Julie and I were able to, you know, climb the mountain from our lowly lows. You know, when we because we've been married for twenty five years, or actually, holy crap, we've been married for twenty nine years. See, you could tell Julie's not in here today as I'm doing the podcast. And, um, yeah, so we've gone from less than nothing to where we are now. And along the ways, one of the things you'll pick up along the way is you get to upgrade your friends and the people that you choose to influence you. And now we're living in a place where it's very rare that we don't run into somebody that we can't learn something from. It's very invigorating. And I hope you guys, if you choose to um, continue your ascension, I hope that all of you guys understand that once you get to the new height, you're going to find people to reinforce the climb. I'm trying to do that for you now, by the way. So one of the things that I noticed from all these guys and gals, no matter how successful they are, is they're all very pensive right now. They're all being very cautious about the decisions that they're making in their businesses and with their personal finances. Some of them are trying to keep the powder dry, as it were, so they can be strategic and pick up what they perceive to be discounted assets this time next year. That's probably true. Others of them are just basically keeping their powder dry because they want to make sure that their business can sustain whatever comes next as far as if there's a second wave or if there's a slowdown of any kind. You know, look, guys, I'll tell you, Julie and I have been running ads looking for uh, folks to work for us in our coaching business because we are anticipating growth. Because education businesses like ours actually do incredibly well during economic times like this, because people have to retool themselves and how they understand things. I mean, you guys are all going to be one of uh, you know take advantage of the distressed opportunities that will arise over the next twelve months, and we want to be there to provide that information for you. So we are anticipating, um, as we saw back in 07 through you know '10, a dramatic Increase in the number of you guys that are going to trust us to help you with your education, right? That's what we do. So we're looking to hire people, and we've been running ads on Indeed, and the you know the Indeed ads we're getting you know hits now and then. We get a decent resume now and then, but within the last two weeks, I would say really within the last seven days, there has been a huge surge. I check my email every morning around six thirty in the morning. And I would say, and I put all the Indeed ads in a, you know, a folder, and, or Indeed resumes in a folder. I don't review them. Someone who works for us, uh, Tom reviews them, and then he basically tells me the ones he thinks I should look at, and then Tom calls them, we interview them, and then they talk with me. But one of the things that we noticed was a huge increase in resumes. And the resumes were coming from all over the country. And the resumes were from people who had been on um, furlough, okay, or they've been on some form of unemployment, right? The enhanced unemployment from the CARES Act, those types of things. All those things are running their course. And now you're seeing people anticipating that they're not going to have their jobs come July, so they're looking for work now. All that enhanced unemployment with the $600 that was, you know, part of the CARES Act on top of whatever your state was giving you—that all runs its course at the end of next month, and there is no indication that's going to be continued. So a lot of people are not going to get their jobs back, and they're going to be unemployed. So you're going to most likely see a sustained period of high unemployment. And the other thing that—I mean, this makes sense when I'm telling you this, right? And as long as there's not a cure, as long as there's not a, a, a viable therapy. A lot of businesses aren't going to be able to open back up. And if they do, they're not going to be the same. And we went to a restaurant for the first time in a long time um, on Father's Day. And normally this restaurant has, I don't even know how many people in it, 100. And in this restaurant, there are maybe, I don't know, 20? How's that? Been? And there was, they, it was clear that all the normal staff was there because, I mean, I'd never. <laughs> Somebody came by our table like every three minutes to check on us, so there was a different person every time, I and mean, clearly they're looking for things to do. So they obviously used the you know PPP, and they were able to keep their staff on. Um, but does that make sense to you? Is that a viable business going forward? Probably not. You know, the, We were driving past the local car wash today. They've been closed for four months. How are they going to come back? How are they paying the lease on the land in which they sit? They're probably not. And the same thing's happening in your community too. So again, we're seeing a massive reshuffling that's going to happen in the economy, and a lot of it had to happen. There's a lot of businesses out there, large and small, that were just barely getting by on monthly cash flow. A lot of brokers and, you know, frankly agents and then even on big scale businesses, you know, you're hearing about department stores, you're hearing about commercial land or commercial real estate, all these businesses were operating on single digit profit margins and they were were reliant on that monthly cash flow so they used you know this month's cash flow to pay next month's bills and it worked out and it worked out for a long period of time there's enough money flowing that they could keep the lights on that money stopped and now you know they're having to borrow the money to keep the lights on the government stepped in provided the you know the SBA loans and the rest of it all that runs out and then what's going to happen the forbearances will end and then what's going to happen you're going to see the real effects of the economic devastation that's basically waiting in the shadows for us right now And our prediction is that's all going to take place really in earnest starting at the end of this year. So what I'm suggesting to you, and and, and I I will look for, and we look for, Julie and I look every day for reasons to believe that we're wrong. We do not search out bad information. Trust me when I tell you that. It searches us out, and it's searching you out too. Why is it important that you pay attention? And remember, this is about me helping you guys to use motivation, use this motivation trick. So here it is. If you knew for sure six months from now every aspect of the economy was gonna be worse, let alone 12 months from now, every aspect of the economy was gonna be worse, and I just gave you some things to, to ponder. What would you be doing differently now? And if you don't do those very things that you think you should be doing, what effect is that gonna have on your, your family? What effect is that gonna have on what you already have? What are you gonna lose if you don't make a radical change to your behavior now? What are you gonna what, what to have to tell your family come around Christmas why you can't buy them Christmas presents? Which, by the way, I had plenty of Christmases growing up where we had no Christmas presents. So I can tell you from a kid's perspective how much that really does suck. Especially when you go back to school after break and your, you know, your friends all have Christmas presents and wearing new clothes, and you're not, and you have to sort of like, you know, oh my clothes are all getting washed, or oh yeah, I got that new GI Joe too. I just, you know, those types of things, right? You don't want your family to have to experience that. I remember back, uh, there was a great. You know, this guy was on our podcast on a regular basis. I don't want to use his name, but he was telling a story how he was in denial about how his family was getting through the last recession. He was, you know, Bill Bird, if you guys remember him. And he was not really paying attention to the fact his family was suffering. His kids were hiding it. His wife was hiding it. Until one day, he saw, and this was in like, what, 2007, 8, somewhere in there. Bill, if you're listening, remind me. Maybe I'll have you back on the podcast. And he told me, you know, in front of all tens of thousands of people listening on this webinar we were doing, that he did not realize that he needed to basically take a massive course correction until he noticed that his little boy was putting cardboard in his shoes because his shoes had holes in them. Does that sound like a modern story to any of you? Does that sound like something that should be happening in central California where the average sale price was $800,000 or whatever? That's how bad it got for his family, but also a large number of agents in that marketplace. Same thing. What makes you guys think that's not going to happen again? Of course it's going to happen again if you're ill-prepared. If you choose to do what Monet did for years where you just basically ignore the problem as it's compounding, where you're waiting for someone to say, Monet, would you like to remove the... Have the you know right leg removed from the anchor, or from the knee down, or the left leg? That's what many of you are going to do. That's human behavior. Many of you will not make the change until basically facing the scalpel. That's what Bill did, and he made a radical change. And he basically you know he never he'll never make that mistake again because that was such an emotion. During the webinar, he started you know he started to cry. It was very emotional. I don't want you guys to experience that. That's what Julie and I are fighting so hard for every single day on this podcast, in our books, in our coaching program. We have to break through your natural propensity to essentially be ill-prepared until you're facing down loss because ultimately, moving towards something does not motivate anybody. A vast majority of people are only motivated by fear of losing something they already have. I want you to use that because it's incredibly powerful, right? Right? So on tomorrow's podcast, I'm going to pick up where we left off. I don't even know how long I've been talking. Holy crap, an hour. So on tomorrow's podcast, what I'm going to do is I'm going to walk you guys through how to set some specific goals for the rest of this year. And the goals we're going to focus on are the very goals that are going to keep you in action so you do not experience financial hardship. You guys have to fight like hell for the rest of this year into next year. I promise you. And I'm not going to bullshit you or tell you one here or be a rah-rah guy or dance around. And, you know, Why? You guys are surrounded with fake motivation. Honestly, the only sustainable long-term motivation comes from you having an experience or essentially you having a skill set that you know you can every day wake up and you can make money by helping people. That's where real motivation comes from. Real motivation comes from you having the lifestyle of doing what you don't want to do when you don't want to do it at the highest level every single day and seeing yourself do it. You know, there's, There's three or four things I have yet to do today. I was, you know, tending to Julie's uh, health issue this morning, I Had to take her to the doctors. So there's a lot of things I didn't get done and I still got to get them done and I don't want to do any of them, but I'm going to do them and I do them every day. And yes, working out is one of them, <laughs> those guys who know us, I'm not a big fan, but I'm going to do it. Right? I'm going to do what I don't want to do when I don't want to do it at the highest level because I know what happens as a result of doing that every single day is everything that I want in life. The same thing is true for you guys. So please stop believing that you, know, you have to set goals that are only motivated by the carrot. Ultimately, the stick is what works. But the stick is the stick that you create for yourself. So use the fear of losing something that you already have. And I gave you a great one. At least it should be a great one for most of you. What are you doing right now to ensure that your family is going to have the best Christmas ever? Where you can spoil your wife, you can spoil your kids, and you're not doing it at the cost of something else. You're not doing it at the cost of financial security or you're not doing it at the cost of not being able to donate money or take some quality time off around the holidays. You're not like buying all this stuff for everyone, all the while you don't have money to buy them dinner, right? You're not doing that. That's what I'm saying. Both is what I'm saying. What are you doing now to make sure that you're not going to be experiencing hardship? Or are you just hoping and praying that magically all the stars will align? Hey, look guys, we did have all the stars aligned over the pandemic we did i mean if you did the ppp loan if you did some of the other things we were telling you about as part of the ultimate agent survival guide by the way if you haven't done that yet make sure you text the word survival to 31996 text the word survival to 31996 just do that now and you'll you still I'm, the ppp loan is still valid you could still do some of these other things these government lifelines those did give us um you know a real great lifeline it was fan- for many of you it was fantastic without those programs Many of you would have been wiped out in the next 90 days. There is no political momentum to continue that stuff. There'll be some versions of it, but you know as well as I do, it's not going to be generalized like the last round was. The PPP loan, which was the saving grace for virtually you know everyone that I got so many emails and texts where you guys were thanking us for you getting a PPP loan because we told you about it. I heard Julie. True story. When, when we traveled, when we lived in Georgetown, Texas, just north of Austin, we always used the same driver to take us to the airport. Nothing fancy. I mean, we're not rolling around limos here. Just you know, so we don't have to keep a car at the airport while we're gone. And we used to travel a lot. And um, he called Julie and asked her for a loan because he hasn't had any business and he wants to go back to school to get a commercial driver's license. He did not know about the PPP. So many of you didn't know about the PPP. Julie and I have told people um, outside of real estate about the PPP and and people are believing it's hard to get people are not understanding that this is money that was set aside to essentially uh, compensate you for the loss of income that you had because the government decided to shut everything down right it's there's no I mean this is it's a gift it truly is if you follow the rules it's a loan that converts into a grant that you don't have to repay it's all available for you You guys get all that information for free just text the word survival to 31996 if it wasn't for programs like that Many of you guys would be, I mean, what would you be doing? Trying to get a job? Well, trust me, it's hard to get a job right now based on the number of resumes I'm getting and the quality of the revenue, r- resumes. I got a resume this morning from someone who had an MBA from Wharton. If you don't know what Wharton is, it's an Ivy League university that's extremely hard to get in, and they're asking for a job for me, and I looked at the resume. The resume was fantastic, and this person, I'm guessing, was probably my age. Right, and they have all this impressive background work history. And do you think they planned to be in a position where that they are now? No, they didn't plan not to be. And that's what I want you guys to be. You, they didn't plan not to be in this position by the time they were in fifty By the time they were 50, or however old this person was, right? So you're not right now. You guys are convincing yourselves. Because everyone else acts and thinks the same way as you, that you're going to be fine in the the end, right? When it comes to retirement, whatever that is, right? These mythical words that are sort of maybe even outdated, (laughs) retirement, right? But the reality of it is, is there will be a time in your life when you don't want to work as hard or you can't work as hard or you just don't have the motivation because maybe you just, you know, there's more days behind you than there are in front of you. And you just are, you tell yourself, look, I'm going to, you know, Slip into essentially poverty. I'm going to sell my house. I'm going to live off my equity. I'm going to live in some, you know, crappy apartment. I mean, a lot of people make that decision. They do, but you don't have to. Why would you if you could do something about it? Especially considering the fact that real estate is such a brilliant business, especially because of the changing market, guys. It's going to take more skill, it's going to take more work, it's going to be harder, it's going to take less goofy bullshit that so many of you guys are addicted to, the branding, the social networking, and do not tell me about five great ways to run Facebook ads to generate buyer leads. Come on people. That's not what this business is all about. You have to focus all your best energies on being listing agents. You have to realize that that's the way you create leverage. That's how you create freedom, ultimately. That should be the goal of every single one of you listening. Oh, some of you are being pressured to build teams. You're being pressured to work on your brand. You need to set all that stuff aside. I mean, hard stop. And you need to focus, basically, on getting your skills on. You have six months, maybe, before you start really feeling the effects of what's going to happen next to prepare. And six months is not a lot of time. So what are you going to do in the next six months? Use the fear of not being able to take care of your family towards the end of the year or if you don't have a family yourself, right? Use the fear of not having, not knowing what to do to solve other people's problems. Right now, some of you have been spoiled, centers of influence in past client marketing, right? Or you've been buying buyer leads, everyone could get a loan, everything was easy. You know, you had to deal with lack of inventory, which, by the way, won't be a problem this time next year. You know, so you've been, you've been spoiled by the market. You've been spoiled because the whole thing about all ships rising. That's going to come to an end. Or in, in some cases, it's going to come abruptly to an end. It already has. In other cases, it's going to slowly come to an end. But regardless, we're in a new cycle. It's the great reshuffling, and Julie and I are going to copyright that term because we think it's appropriate, right? The great reshuffling. Isn't that what it feels like? All the cards are still in the deck, but they're just in different orders now. It's sort of what it feels like for us. So listen to what I'm saying, please. I'm only trying to help you guys. You know, if you choose to become coaching clients, well, obviously that's great too. But ultimately what I want you to do is choose not to basically allow yourself or your family to suffer. I want you to choose to realize that your highest and truest purpose on this planet is to be of service to other people. Hopefully you understand that those are not just words that come out of my mouth. I'm trying to do that for you right now. I'm trying to be very selective about the words I say and how I say them. I'm holding myself back from some of the things I would like to say because I know some of you would find them offensive. Right, And I don't want to offend you because you're looking for reasons not to listen to me because I'm telling you to do something you don't want to do. I'm I'm going to tell you many things you don't want to do. So what your ego is trying to do is look for reasons to discount me. You're looking for reasons not to have to listen to me. You're looking for reasons in your mind just to stay complacent, stay on the path that you've been on. Right? Right. Do you notice that? Is it because you don't believe you have to change? Well, you do have to change. You're going to change whether you want to change or not. You don't have a choice. It's just, are you going to choose to change for the better or are you going to degrade? All of us end up in the same place. We all came from the same place. It's what happens in between that end point and that, you know, starting point. That's in your control. That's dependent on not just your, obviously, you know, all. Of, none of us were born in the same in the same place with the same, you know, strengths and the same weaknesses and the same anything. All of us basically had different opportunities. But all of us do, because we live in this blessed country, and frankly, because you chose the right industry to be in, real estate, I mean, come on now, you've chosen the right industry, you're in the right place at the right time, yes, there's lots of changes happening, but the gift from the real estate gods about all these things happening is there's never been a time when caring, competent agents have been so much in need, caring, competent agents that have the skill set to solve other people's problems, Those are the agents that are going to be the rock stars going into the future. Many of the agents you guys associate with being rock stars now, they're not really. They might sell a lot of houses, they might have big teams, they might make big lists. But when I have coaching calls with them, as I often do during times like this, and I start drilling down on what their financial situation is, they've got no money, they've got no staying power. Three, four months, they're wiped out. And they're the ones that are the biggest believers in, you know, mindset. Somehow, if I think bad thoughts, I'll attract bad thoughts or, you know, all this stuff. There's definitely grains of truth to all that type of stuff. But if you uh, think good thoughts, but you don't take the right actions, then guess what you're going to attract yourself? Nothing. You know, and here's the counterpunch to that. If you think bad thoughts and those bad thoughts end up basically forcing you to take the right actions out of fear of having those bad thoughts become real, what happens? Everything changes. You guys see the difference? It's about the word action. Please take this seriously. Don't let this get by you. Don't sign yourself up for needless suffering. You okay. I just sent something from at least a thousand of you, because there's you know ten or fifteen thousand that will listen to this show. Here's a thought for you. If you're trying to figure out a way that my rather, you know, dire predictions for the next six to 12 months are wrong, I promise you I'm trying to do the same thing. I'm trying desperately, Jules and I both, to find reasons why. I mean, she's upstairs laying in her bed not feeling well. And I promise you, as soon as I check my direct messages on our workplace, I'm going to see that she sent me a ton of articles, because we're constantly combing through. We go through financial reports, we go through different leading indicator things, looking for any reasons to believe that what we're saying is either right or wrong, because we're trying to do our best to basically steer you guys in the right direction. The leading indicators are all indicating, telling us that no matter what you're hearing in the news, everything is pointing towards a corrective market that's going to be a long-term a cycle. Now. Let's say we're wrong, and we do welcome, love the idea that we're wrong. How does that hurt you? So if you basically spend the next six to twelve months preparing for a real you know substantial change shift, reshuffling in the market, knowing okay that yes, there's going to be more need now and preparing competent skilled agents than there ever has been, we are in no way pessimistic about the future for real estate agents. There's going to be more need for real estate agents and less need for fancy you know, technology companies in the future because the reality of it is, is that when people are under stress, they don't want to go online and fill out a form and talk to an AI bot. They want to deal with somebody who knows how to solve the problem. Don't you? Of course you do. Okay? So let's say I'm wrong. Julie's wrong. And everything that we're reading and we're sharing with you, wrong. It's entirely possible. So what? Six months, 12 months from now, you're overprepared. You've gone lean, you've gotten your skills on, you've developed a new approach to life. You're living the you know, doing what you don't want to do, and you don't want to do it at the highest level lifestyle. You are locked in. You are frosty, you are downrange, you're ready for battle. How much stronger will you be had you not taken those actions? Right? You see what I'm saying here, folks? There's no downside for you actually Doing what you don't want to do, and you don't want to do at the highest level. Raise your hand if you're sick of hearing me say that. Because I have news for you, I'm sick of hearing myself say that. Because I wish it wasn't true. <laughs> I do. I'm just like you guys. You know, I'm looking. I, I, my mind definitely wants to go for the easy button. It doesn't exist, so I have to logically talk myself out of hitting it. But I definitely look for it, and so do you. But it doesn't exist. I know. That, you know, if I want to essentially improve aspects of my life, it takes long periods of suffering. It takes long periods of, you know, various forms of misery. Oh, Tim, I don't want to experience that. Neither do I. But I, what I really don't want to experience is the involuntary misery that comes from me not having chosen to do those things. I'd rather, you know, essentially suffer now in control versus suffering if I'm out of control because basically the zombies are at the gate. You guys get the difference? It's powerful, isn't it? It's powerful if you choose to embrace it. And if you don't choose to embrace it, you got to ask yourself why. Is it because you don't want to do the work? I understand. I do. I don't agree with you, but I understand. Is it because you don't want to change? Again, I understand. But you're going to change whether you want to change or not. Look, I don't know what age you are. I don't know what your background is. I don't know what your education level is. I don't know where you are in the country, right? This is just a voice and a microphone, and hopefully I'm reaching all of you. But what does matter is that you absolutely positively hope for the best, but prepare for the worst. That's what you have to do now. Those are the actions you have to take. There's no downside on the other side of thinking and acting like that, none. So guys, please consider this. I'm going to pick up where I left off uh, tomorrow, today. And then I'm going to get to, um, we're going to re-record the whole session on... The You're Having a Moral Obligation to Be Rich, which frankly is some of my favorite content that we've ever, Julie and I have ever co authored. You guys have a fantastic day. We'll talk with you on the show tomorrow.
0: This program has been a presentation by Tim and Julie Harris, Real Estate Coaching. For more information on our real estate coaching and training programs, visit our website at timandjulieharris.com.